White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 710. The White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast is brought to you by people like you, our Patreon.com family. To join the ranks and help us keep the show going, visit www.b5review.com. That's www.b5review.com and click on the button to become a patron. It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Reviewing the entire Babylon 5 series, plus Crusade and everything else. Now here are your hosts, Van Allen Plexico and Andy Fix. From the palatial White Rocket Studios in Southern Illinois and somewhere in Ohio, it is the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. I am your host, Van Allen Plexico. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Andy Fix. Are you out there in Radioland, Andy? I, I am here, and I am alive. Oh. That, is, that is the best I can offer you right now. So We'll take it. I, I, I have been fighting off an alien invasion for the, the good of mankind for the past week because it's it's coming through my lungs. I've been hacking up some really strange stuff. So, <laughs> Andy sneezed and his tissue said, <laughs> oh, "We're a little so goofy I, tonight." I, I apologize to all the listeners in advance if I have a coughing fit in mid sentence. So, yeah, well, and. I'm having a huge allergy fit. And in fact, I want to go ahead and say we're recording this one a little later than usual. So the patrons usually get these on like Wednesday or Thursday of the recording week before they go up the following Monday for everybody else. And I want to tell the patrons, I'm sorry, this week we're doing good just to get it done before Monday. So, you know, I, I mentioned in our last episode that we lost our padding. And this it, it took us exactly one episode to regret losing our padding, our, you know, our, our extra buffer. Our buffer because, yeah, no buffer this week, and um, and we we're getting it done on a Friday night late. So, but here we are, we're getting it done. The patrons will right. get it late Friday, early Saturday. Everybody yep. else will get it Monday. That's that's best we can do this week. You're in it, you're in it for a penny, in it for a pound with us, and that's what you get. You, you get what you get. We do the best we can. So, what's new with you, sir? Before we get rolling on our new episode, anything to report? Uh, the only thing I have to report is that tonight, this very day, is our two-year anniversary of recording this podcast. Really? It two is. years? Two Holy. years. Because if looking back at my Facebook memories, I love Facebook memories. Mm-hmm. On, on this day two years ago, I said, what did I say? I said, while recording the first episode of a Babylon 5 podcast, my co-host mentioned the excellent musical score provided by Christopher Franke. Yeah, and then I go on to talk about my CD of Christopher Franke music. So yeah, two years that, ago, two years ago today, which is we're recording this on April seventh, twenty twenty three. Which sounds like a, it's hard to believe we're in twenty twenty three. That sounds like a year from the show, you know, right? The Earth Year twenty twenty three. That just doesn't sound right, you know. We were supposed to have flying cars and moon bases and all that stuff by now. I I feel gypped off. Well, you know, there is some news we can talk about for just a second then. We were supposed to have moon bases, but we're taking our first legit steps toward that. Now, just a couple of days ago, NASA announced the the Artemis astronauts, the four, that are going to go up in the next next year or so, right? Or whenever it is. 
Ooh, I don't know if it's going to be that soon, but maybe that they're would gonna, be cool. They're, they're going to orbit. They're, they're yeah. going up, and they're going to in the next yeah, and then I think within the next two to three years they're going to actually land. So okay. I think I think within the next year they're going to orbit the moon, kind of an Apollo eight. You know, you go, you right, go around right. it, and you come back, and then so we get we get we basically get Artemis Apollo eight, and then we get Artemis Apollo eleven, and it sounds like they're not doing nine or ten; they're just going to go straight there and land. I guess they already know at this point, you know, right. what's what's waiting on them. It's not quicksand. Right. There's no monsters. <laughs> you know, it's 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 just well. A, Big rock. The only thing they have to work out is which one's going to get the super stretchy powers and which one's going to turn into the rock monster. <laughs> you know, once once they get that figured out, they're good to go. And holy cow, there's three guys and a girl. Oh right? my goodness, I didn't think of that, Andy. That's insane. <laughs> yes, yeah. we're sending a rocket up with three guys and a gal. And oh man, it's bound to happen. Man. And it's it's, it's going to happen. And, and we're prepared. One of them's Canadian, so. He'll get the power to eat a whole lot of back bacon and and drink he, Molson. He might. This might be yeah. the MCU version of a Wolverine origin. Maybe he. Gets, <laughs> maybe he's part of the Fantastic Four. Maybe that's how they introduced the Wolverine to the Fantastic. Oh Four, wow, you know? that's amazing. That's great. Wow. All right. So good old Artemis is trying to get us in real life, just on the first steps of the path that Babylon Five gives us a sort of fictionalized. Uh, what if kind of view of and that's that's wonderful i'm so excited about it so yeah space news is always fun it is it is and it's so great um and let's see all right so tonight we are talking about episode 410 racing mars which is a really cool title i like that title a lot and it really doesn't have anything to do with what happens in the episode other than that steven and marcus go to mars right not a lot of racing going on there and we have a racing podcast on this network, but that's a whole other thing, so we won't go there. <laughs> and we don't race Mars. Uh, let's see. So I want to point out that for our patrons, uh, this episode should have been up two days ago, and I apologize, but you can expect the next one to go up about April 19th, if all goes well, depending on how things go, and then May 3rd. So that's we kind of looking ahead to where that's going to be. All right, so shall we talk about 410? I don't think this is going to be a very long episode, because there's not a whole lot to say about this episode. you want to go ahead and talk about 410 Racing Mars? Absolutely. I'm ready to go. All right, so who's doing the summary this time? Uh, I will do the summary this time. Okay. Uh, it is not very in-depth. Uh, Marcus and Dr. Franklin go to Mars to meet their contacts, and uh, um, Sheridan and Garibaldi have a confrontation. Woo, they do. Yeah. Boy, howdy. And Sheridan and Delenn have a confrontation, too. <laughs> <laughs> that ends with the immortal words, yeah. woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. About which more in a minute, yeah. Right. Yeah, that was a good. That was a very good summary. It's very similar to the uh, to the uh, lurker summary. P five rating, and we've always again. I always want to remind people what this is. Back when the show first aired, the Lurker's Guide to Babylon Five website would ask viewers to give it a score. They went between one and ten, or whatever, instead of or zero and ten. We go between zero and five, but we we do half, so it's effectively the same thing. Right. And so the P five rating. Average for this episode when it first aired was 7.73 out of 10. So that's about a 3.6, 3.7 roughly. Yeah. Mm. So we'll see how that measures up to what we came up with. 
I, I've I've come to realize that people back then were were a little generous with their their ratings. I think I because think, it was all new back then. I was gonna say I think that they were excited just to get a new episode and excited to see <laughs> the storyline move along, you know. And so they tended to be a little more excited about things and generous than maybe we are way you know thirty years later looking back at it. So that's right, seems, right. So, and in fact, it was, it actually aired in, on original air date was April 21st, 1997. So, 07, 17, 18, 20, 20, 20. So 26, almost, we're, we're, we're just a few weeks away from, just a couple of weeks away from it being 26 years ago. Yeah. It aired in April, just like we watched it this time in April. <coughs> of course, still written by JMS. I'm going to be saying that for a while. Right. And um, I think until we get to the Neil Gaiman one. And um, directed by Jesus Trevino, who we haven't, I, I feel like I haven't mentioned his name in a long time. This is not the first it's one he's done. But he's, he's done yeah. one before this, though, surely. A couple, yeah. He's, yeah I, so I he, think he was, he's been nominated as our first alternate for the, uh, yeah. the um, Mount Rushmore of. Mount Rushmore, yeah. yeah. The Mount Rushmore of B5 is actually on Epsilon 3, by the way. <laughs> I did not know that. It is located on Epsilon 3. Zathras would be happy to give you a tour of it. But if you go and you need a, and you want to have a tour with Zathras, make sure you ask for Zathras and not Zathras or Zathras. Right. Because Zathras can give you a tour of it, but Zathras has no idea what you're talking about. Right. So make sure you miss for the right one. All four heads on the Mount Rushmore on Epsilon 3 are all Zathras. Yeah. It, it, it says Jesus Trevino <laughs> and Janet Greek and whatever, but it just. Right. It's just pictures of Zathras, right? Okay. Yeah. Every picture is picture of Zathras. <laughs> very nice mighty, very nice mountain. Get very much attention for Zathras. Picture of directors of mountain. Yes, yes. Wrong tool. Never use this. And uh, all the all the dead refugees are in a camp right in front of it. I forgot about the dead <laughs> refugees that we sent down and then promptly forgot. <laughs> we sent them down with no oxygen, no yeah. no no spacesuits, and then totally forgot about them. Haven't heard from their refugees. They must be doing all right down there. They must be, yeah. They must be doing fine. They hadn't called for help. I guess they're doing good. <laughs> oh my goodness! It's going to be one of those episodes, everybody. Right. Uh, <laughs> notable guest stars this time around: Mark Schneider as Wade. Where do we know him from? He's totally I I that name rang a bell and I didn't think to look until now but when I, I remember when I first saw this episode thinking oh that's that guy um, from that thing from that show and I'm gonna look because it's driving me crazy you know he uh, look, he looks like one of the uh, one of the Estevez brothers it kind of uh, he was in Ghostbusters 2 Son of the Pink Panther Supervan Knight Rider The Supernaturals so uh, Napoleon in America, ah, <laughs> I don't know, huh? Well, nothing we would remember him from. No, there's several people by that name, so it's not helping me out to Google him. Uh, Donovan Scott is Captain Jack. He was pretty entertaining, kind of annoying. I don't know where do you come down on Captain Jack in this episode? Entertaining or annoying? Now nah, you're you're muted. The character was entertaining, but the uh, the actor was quite annoying. He his okay his accent was all over the place he would say like two lines in three different accents he had australian and i think a cockney and then the american accent wow. I mean, jason carter had to be just ready to strangle him off screen like what are you doing 
you can't do any of your accents well. I don't even know which is your proper accent. Oh, that's good. I hadn't. I, I didn't register. I guess just the general annoyance kind of registered with, with me, but not a specific. <laughs> but that's yeah. that's probably part of the specific right there. Yeah. So, um, Jason Carter has a very cool accent. He well, yeah, his is perfectly natural. Yeah, but it, it just the way he says things always sounds really good. You, he could tell you you're about to die, and you'd be like, "Oh, that's cool. Tell me again." You know. Right. He's just he's just got that very melodious voice. I guess I don't know. Right. So Clayton Landley, Landy, Clayton Landy is number two. I really found him annoying. Yes, number it, two. Was his annoying. accent. He had just one accent, but it was a terrible accent. Yeah, he was. He was like the country guy, right? Like, hey, right, we gonna right. get you boys. Come on over here. Yeah. <laughs> I had, he would yeah. not have been out of place on Dukes of Hazard. That was yeah. So him being number two kind of fitted. It worked out. Right. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Meanwhile, Marjorie Monahan is wonderful as number one. Every does, I, 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 she's I've everyone I've ever spoken to, and I haven't spoken to that many people honestly about her. But whenever her, whenever she would come up among Babylon Five fans, I never heard anybody say, "Oh, I couldn't stand number one." I think she's pretty cool. She is very cool, and she she's got a good history on. Uh Sci-fi too. She was she was actually one of the original Rangers. She was a space ranger on the show Space Rangers. Oh, okay. I didn't know about that. That's really cool. There was there was a a brief syndicated sci-fi show in the early nineties, just before Babylon Five started, called Space Rangers. It lasted for like a season, if that. And hmm. she was one of the, it was it was cheesy. Yeah. And it was sci-fi, and it was it was it was a blast. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't good, but it was <laughs> it was fun. Right. Well, that's yeah. That's a lot of things, isn't it? Yeah. Funny how certain actors they get into sci-fi shows and they just keep coming back. It's like, well, Katie right. Sackhoff is a great example of that. Right. Oh, absolutely. But they just can't seem to get into other things, and so there's they kind of go through the five stages of grief over it. Right. Where first they're in <laughs> denial and they try to get on their shows and they can't, and then right. they eventually get to acceptance and just start doing every sci-fi show. Claudia well, Black is another right. Exactly. That's because sci-fi shows have the same fan base. Yeah. Because back then there was only a handful of sci-fi shows, so a sci-fi fan mm. watched every single one of those shows. So if you could get a, get on one, you know, you yeah. could get a job on, on other sci-fi shows because you, you'd bring that that at least the face recognition with you. And there's also the the side of it that it's hard to get on other shows once you've been typecast as a sci-fi actor. Right. Right. Exactly. Which, which happens to people like maybe Scott Bakula. Um, yeah, popping up on different shows, and um, um, but there's been quite a few. Ben Browder seems like never really took off, other than on sci-fi shows. Two of them, right, right, and and of course, Stargate, the Stargate franchise is where your favorite sci-fi franchises actors go for their second act. <laughs> it's it's like the. You know how, like, in the NFL, players would start out on one team, they'd always end up on the Raiders at the end or something? Right. They're, they're kind of like, Stargate's like the Raiders. You, you've been the quarterback on your own show. Now you go and get to play, like, third string, you know, back up on, the, on, the, on, on Stargate. That was always interesting to me. Right. <laughs> and so many did, too. My gosh. Yeah. Um, all right. So that's the notable guest stars, and I did really like Marjorie Man- Monahan. I only have yeah, a few she, random factoids and notes. Do you have anything to share with us? Uh, let me see. Random factoids. Uh, the Pope mm. is apparently a, a woman. Yes. I th- that. I mean, and that was just a throwaway line, and I thought it was hilarious. I, I had to stop and rewind it and watch it again. 
I thought it was yeah. really cool. And JMS, that is one of the few things I have from JMS in this episode, is that he said, I got some flack from some extremist Catholics about that, and also from born-again rightists over my comments in TV Guide about it and about being an atheist. So they took yeah. exception to him saying the Pope was a woman, and they took exception to an atheist saying the Pope was a woman. Right. <clears throat> I'm sniffling, too. So, um, all right, I got a few. Let's see. This is the episode where we found... I remember this drove me crazy. My, my girlfriend and I, back at the time when, when this originally aired, were like hardcore into the show. And I remember us both just looking at each other and going, ah! you Because know, this is the episode where we find out that nobody back on Earth or Mars knows the Shadow War even happened. Right. <laughs> that was a shock to me. It makes perfect sense in retrospect. I totally get right. it. But actually, the... Hearing that, I was just like, "Whoa, you're kidding!" And and the reaction that that uh, Marcus gave was was perfect. I mean that you know that that's what anybody would have given. I mean he just fought his butt off and sacrificed and, and yeah. was a war hero. And the very people he was fighting for, like, I'm sorry, what war? Yeah, what now? Yeah, exactly. But I mean, if you think about it, we've had two world wars, and yet. There are people in places like Angola yeah. or Bolivia that wouldn't know if they right. if they had didn't told them. Bolivia maybe, right. but places like Central Africa, what that didn't have it never had any impact on them other than peripherally, yeah. you know, economically or something. So it makes sense, but it just shocked me to think, man, they just did all this and nobody even knows. Yeah. And 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 they're hated. They're out there winning the winning the galactic war and people back on earth hate them because of the Clark propaganda machine. It is just infuriating. Um, let's see. Oh, this was interesting to me. It, it was remarkable to me, because this is not an episode I've watched very often. The only time I watch this episode is when, when I'm watching the entire series, right? This is not one I go back and watch just to say, oh, I want to watch that cool Racing Mars episode. No, that's never happened. Right, right. right. Okay, so I've only watched this episode three or four times, probably, ever. And... It's amazing to me how differently it comes across now that Stephen and Marcus are pretending to be a married couple compared to how it came in 97. In 97, right. I remember being scandalized, not in a disapproving way or anything, but just like, oh my goodness, these two guys are, are supposed to pretend they're married? Whoa, that's crazy. And you hear it now and you go, uh-huh, what? Wait, that's... Yeah. Because they present it like, whoa, you know, and that's how right. we received it at the time. But now they present it, and we're just kind of like, uh-huh, yeah. It, it it came across as if they were trying to make it – they were trying to make it a joke. That, that was a, yeah. a, a supposed to be a humorous thing, whereas now it just comes across as, eh, no big deal. Yeah. Like, why is, why is that a joke? Why is that funny? I mean, it, well, the joke now falls flat. Well, the joke now comes down just to it being them. Oh, it's right. those two pretend to be a couple. Wah, wah, right. wah, you know, right. but the situation is not as ridiculous as it was back. Back then, it was both these two and in a wacky situation. Now it's just right. oh, it's these two. Ha ha. As if those two would get married. Ha ha. It's a very different. It hits different as the kids say. Right. Right. It's like watching an episode of Three's Company nowadays. <laughs> God. <laughs> I don't even want to think about it. But anyway, I just thought that was very interesting. Um, yeah, well, and my wife brought that same thing up. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we find out that keepers grow back. Yes. And even if you remove them, and I have something in the spoiler space about that, 
um, which I have already noted, so good. So it, I won't forget. Usually <laughs> I forget spoiler stuff by the time we get to spoiler space. But, uh, yeah, I, we've got a little bit to talk about there. That's the only thing I have in spoiler space right now. So for those that don't know, hang around to the very end of the episode and we go into spoiler space where we talk about stuff beyond this episode. But we don't talk about stuff beyond this episode before that. Well, we do. We just try not to. <laughs> we try not to. Right. Uh, we try. As minimum as we can. Uh, we know that Ivanova has begun setting up amnesty deals with smugglers so that, because the station's starting to run out of stuff. I thought it was interesting that it's taken this long either for the embargo to happen or for the embargo to take hold. I wasn't clear on that. I think it's the, the embargo is now starting to take hold. Okay. That they're, they're fine. Because I'm sure they could still get stuff that was still out there beyond the reach of, of Earth Force, right? Yeah. So they could still get some stuff. In. Well, now all that stuff is gone. Well, so I just didn't know why Clark would have waited this long to start an embargo. Although maybe I, I missed you, something. Yeah, I think the embargo started a while ago. Yeah. Okay. Well, that would make sense. I think. Yeah, I, I remember. Yeah, because they they stopped. It was the the episode with the mailman. Remember when they were having the, the issues with the mailman? Yeah, yeah, I do now. Yeah. Oh, yeah I only that. only they could bring stuff in. Nobody else was allowed to bring anything in. That's right. That's right. That's right. Good call. Good call. Uh, we find out Garibaldi's hair loss is due to something a smuggler brought aboard the station. <laughs> And my wife asked that question too earlier in the episode. She goes, "What happened to his hair?" <laughs> I was like, yeah. oh, "Just wait." <laughs> <laughs> I'd forgotten that. I have told before though the story that when I met uh, when I met Jerry Doyle at DragonCon one time, um, he, I, I had my I had my Army of Light uniform on, and I told him I said uh, I said Yeah, this started out as a Sheridan uniform, but. I pointed at the top of my head and I said, it's turned into a Garibaldi. And he's like, ah, yeah, ah, ah, right. <laughs> and he, he included a story like that in his autobiography book a few years ago that was similar enough that I suspect he might have been talking about our conversation, but he changed a couple of things to where it might have been, it might have been us and he changed it and it might have been somebody else. So I don't know. That's, he was drunk at the time because it was Jerry Doyle. Right. So <laughs> I don't know how much he actually remembered, but anyway. Right. Um, let's see. So I think that, oh yeah. Okay. This, the, oh yeah. The number two and number one is supposed to be a nod to the prisoner show. Right. I've never have watched that. Never had a chance to watch it. It's interesting. The name Captain Jack is supposedly a nod to the Billy Joel song. Captain Jack will get you high tonight. I thought of Captain Jack on Doctor Who, but of course that was much later. Right. I thought that same thing. Yeah, yeah. There is a funny Captain Jack story. When Hillary Clinton was going to announce that she was running for uh, Senate in New York, she had New York State of Mind playing on the audio system when she was going to come out and give her speech. But they mm-hmm. delayed her, and when she came out to give the speech, it was playing Captain Jack will get you high. <laughs> so that, <laughs> that was not exactly what she wanted to have on. Oh, I've made Andy cough now. I've messed up. Yeah, That always struck me as funny. Oh, the advanced funny. people messed up. Yeah, They should have paused it. Uh, and then finally, there's an irony in that when Marcus and and Stephen discover a spy, they're playing I Spy. Oh yeah, I didn't pick up on that. That's good. Yeah, more boxes, even more boxes, and a spy. Right. That's right. All right, unanswered questions, Andy. Who planted a keeper on Captain Jack? Bum, bum, bum. That's a good question. And and here's the thing too, because this is not a spoiler, right? We we know the keepers 
come, they are shadow adjacent. They're not straight from the shadows, but they're related to the shadows. Right. So what does Captain Jack have to do with the shadows? Why would, what would the shadow, they're gone. So what's going, the question is kind of floating there. Who's using keepers if the shadows are gone? And what is their interest in Mars? It's almost as if there's like shadow technology that people are going to start tapping into. That would be that would be <clears throat> scary. <clears throat> cough, cough, techno mage, cough, cough. Okay, um, <laughs> that's a whole other that's a whole other issue. Whole other can of worms. Whole other can of galens. Who are the people Garibaldi was promising to help? And didn't one of them say that these things that were going on were not good for the president? Did you notice they yes. dropped that little line in there? Uh-huh. And and he said. Uh, We'll see to it. He gets the help he needs, which is a line that was used in the uh, by that uh, the fake newscaster. Oh, that's right, Dan Randall or whatever his name was. Yeah, Dan Randall said that almost word for word that exact wow. same thing in his newscast. Andy, I don't know about you, but based on the things from this episode, I'm starting to get a little suspicious. Of these people that are hanging around Garibaldi. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking that they might have some bad plans. There might be an agenda at work here that is not positive for everybody, for all of our heroes. This is true, but it leads to my favoritest episode of all time. So, but not mine. All right, let's mine. see what else we got. <laughs> um, how? My unanswered question: How did Lanier stand being there when John and Delin were doing whatever it was they were doing that made John say "woohoo"? Uh huh. Oh my! That goodness. had to be. Talk about sheer torture. Ugh. That had to be the absolute worst. Oh, man. He had to do some serious meditating. He was doing That would be serious. like your college roommate shacking <laughs> up with your, your, your high school crush. Yes. Yes. Oh, oh Lord. That's so wrong. Um, and then lastly, I, this is an answered question from me again. Just like that one. But I think this is a legit one that I'd never thought of before. When when they're trying to recruit recruit, they're turning him into a tree guy. When they're trying to recruit Garibaldi, the Brakiri woman comes up and is like fawning all over Sheridan and talking about him being the savior or whatever. That seemed the timing seemed so suspicious there. They paid her, didn't they? She was a total plant. Absolutely. Had to have been. Yeah. Just that to kind of all part of the scam. Just to work Garibaldi. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. I think we 100% agree that was a scam, a setup. Yep. Yep, I agree. Um, and, and by the way, you remember that it was playing off of the first time when Sheridan came back from Zahadoom because right. the lady fell down and he helped her up and she looks up at him. It was that all over when she gets shoved and everything. Yep. Same thing again. All right. Don't have very many JMS speaks this time. Um, somebody asked JMS, why didn't Ivanova ask Lita to oversee her negotiations with the smugglers? And my answer to that is because they never, they never ask Lita to do anything unless it's extremely dangerous and they don't pay her for it. (laughs) So this was just not dangerous enough. Right. Why, Why use her for a legitimate business purpose? That you might have to pay her for. Right. Oh, brother. I, yeah, we've we've hit on a few things over the course of this podcast, and one of them is that Ivanova is far more important to the show than we ever realized, particularly in the early seasons. And one of them is they should have just given the presidential suite to to Lita for services rendered in the Shadow War, 
And she should have never had to pay for a thing the rest of her life. Right. And, oh, if they had only done that. Spoilers, spoilers, yeah. spoilers. Um, but JMS simply answers that. I, he has a very long answer. I'm just going to whittle it down to he doesn't want telepaths to become a deus ex machina and be the answer to every problem. And so he puts right. various situations in place to prevent them from being used. And that's that's part of it. So, Yep, that makes sense. All right, you want to get in the categories here? That's it. I have I have a JMS Speaks. Oh, good. Yes, let's hear it. I actually found one. I'm surprised you didn't find this one. Um, excuse me. JMS said that while he was uh, while they were filming this episode, somebody either I don't I forget if it was the cast or the crew came up to him and asked him about Sheridan's forced vacation. They're like, you know, uh, JMS, you put a lot of these references in there it, into the the scripts about a character not getting enough sleep or being overworked or not having enough days off. Is there something you're trying to tell us? <laughs> and he, he said he stopped for a second and thought about it. He goes, I, I wasn't consciously trying to say that to anybody, but I guess subconsciously, yeah, I need a freaking break. <laughs> <laughs> that a hundred percent makes sense. I yes. thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. There's, there's a few more of those JMS self-revelations that are going to come up over the course of the re- of the remaining episodes, and and I have a really good one I'm going to try to remember that involves when when um, when another character is introduced in season five. So we'll talk about that then if I remember. But yeah, that's pretty funny because it and it and it and it often is Ivanova. <laughs> it's often right. Ivanova that's overdone, but. Uh, well, Ivanova, I think, is JMS's conscience or something. Yeah. I mean, she's the, the Russian part of him yeah. speaking speaking his subconscious. And it was interesting that for once, it was it was her in trying to help somebody else. It seems like so much of the show has been her having issues and people trying to help her or her helping herself. And this time it was her kind of preemptively helping Sheridan because she could see that he needed to... Uh, that he needed help, you know. He needed to. Right. He needed literally needed help. He needed help doing his job. He couldn't do it all by himself all the time. That way leads to Stephen Franklin in in, in season three. Right. <laughs> you don't want. We to don't do need that. to go down that route again. No. All right. High point of the episode. I had a hard time with all the categories this time. I did. I did too. I'm glad. I, I'm sorry that you had a problem with it, but I'm glad <laughs> to hear that you had a problem with it because I yes. did too. No. Yeah, um, exactly. I had for my high point when Ivanova recruits the smugglers. I thought that was very season one way of, okay. of dealing with stuff. It was old school Susan Ivanova using her her diplomacy, quote unquote diplomacy skills, you know, with the big hammer yeah. and uh, uh, big stick diplomacy. I think they used to call it back in the day. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was uh, I thought it was pretty cool. And of course, it had the thugs, you know, the the typical JMS thugs, but. That that's a whole different category, but uh, I I thought it was pretty cool how she she kind of corralled them and, and uh, um, fixed the situation, so to speak. Yeah, that's a really good one, and I hadn't thought of that. I I guess I just went for the most dramatic moment, and that to me was the reveal of the keeper on Captain Jack, and then the fight and everything. Yep. I like the idea that the keeper accidentally got shot in the head. <laughs> that yeah. was novel. We hadn't seen that before. Right. Um. But then we find out more about it. So that it, it which is going to take us to spoiler space. Uh, so, all right, so that's what I had. And again, this was not an episode of a lot of high points. This was very much a sort of a moving po- from point C to point D kind of episode. I thought, right, 
Right. So, yeah, we're we're done with the Shadow War, and now it's pretty much setting up the next big thing, and it's just going to be several episodes of that, more or less. All right, so what was your low point of this episode? Low point was, I had two of them. I had, for the emotional low point, it was the whole Garibaldi versus Sheridan conflict. I mean, it, it bubbled up a couple times, but... It was very intense. Yeah. I mean, both times it was very intense. And it, it, it was really funny. I read an interview with Jerry Doyle said that both of us were channeling, because we were tennis buddies, you know, offset, we played tennis together. And oh. we, we, were, we were very um, into our, our rivalry. Competitive. So it got a little intense. Yeah, competitive. It got a little intense on the tennis courts. He says, and I know I brought that rivalry and that intensity to this scene and I know that that uh, Boxleitner did too and it, it kind of bubbled over and I was afraid I was actually going to hit him <laughs> I took a swing at him but I'm glad I didn't because I would have felt really bad about it that's but good, I thought that, yeah. that was funny that, that they, they brought their their I mean they're a friendly rivalry but you know how guys get when they play sports oh, sure. against each other of course so yeah. he said they, they both brought that that competitive intensity to the to the scene he thought that was kind of fun yeah that's interesting it's always interesting to me when actors are playing an attitude or a position or whatever that's very different from themselves because it's like, how are you able to be this other persona if that's not how you ever normally are? And I don't know, I'm not explaining it very well, but I I first kind of noticed that with Brian Cranston on Breaking Bad, that in normal conversation, he's just kind of an easygoing, you know, friendly guy. And then you see him on Breaking Bad, just super intense and cold and everything. And I think you have to kind of understand that persona to to be able to mimic it, to play it effectively. Right. It's just I don't know. I mean, that some, that is a part of the the talent that those people have. people think. Oh, they're an actor; they don't really work. No, it's work. That is oh, part yeah. of their job and their talent, and that's what makes a good actor is their ability to be consumed by the character they're playing and just. And read the lines as that character, not as an actor reading lines. Yeah, I I do think that it's easy to underestimate what actors do. Absolutely, it's it's easy Absolutely. to say anybody could do that. Right, it, and, and pe- people slag on Jared Doyle for not being a good actor, but you know I don't see how you can say that after watching either. that the, no. this episode. I mean, he was phenomenal. You could tell he was in, into that scene. Yeah. So that was my that was my first low point. My my other low point, which was uh, more of a um, just a general low point, was all the thugs. Normally, when we get thugs, we only get two or three, you know, in one or two scenes an episode. This one had a thug in every scene. It seemed like, and they were all so just so so Jamis thuggish. They're they're always the low point of any yeah. five episode. Yeah. The, this one this one just had a, 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 an abundance of them. Yeah. And it, it, it was a little overwhelming. Yeah, they're pretty much. I think we've long decided that thugs and general street low lives are pretty much by far the worst thing JMS writes. Yeah, and yeah. no amount of acting can salvage what he does with them because it's just not. And they good. never get good actors to play him anyway. No, no it makes it's it like, worse. It, it just compounds the situation. Compounds it. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah, low point for me, I had Garibaldi and the Clark Thugs. So I even call them the Clark Thugs, where they said the president. Yeah. And then I, I said, number two on Mars occasionally morphed into a hillbilly redneck and eventually became a <laughs> typical Babylon 5 thug, i.e. terrible. So, yeah, that right. 
there was a lot about it. This is what I mean when we say that there are episodes that have a horrible reputation, and you and I kind of liked them. We found good stuff in them. Right. Then there's these episodes that don't have a bad reputation, and I go, how did these people not ruin it? Right. I mean, you know, there's other parts of this episode that are really entertaining and fun, but these dudes all the way through the show just try to drag it down. Right. So, all right. So what was your most Babylon 5 scene this time around? This is, you know, these are hard. This was a really hard one, but I settled on... I had two of them. First one was the parasite being revealed, mm. the, the, um, the, the, the keeper. Yep. That was kind of a big deal. Uh, but the other one, the one that I think is comes back you know, and plays a lot in the future is uh, Garibaldi selling out Sheridan there at the end. Yeah, that's good. That's true. Yeah. You're probably right. Um, you know, it's funny, though, about the parasite... That's yet another reason why uh, Exogenesis is a problematic episode. We didn't talk about this aspect of it, I don't think, when we covered that episode. But that's the one with the giant centipede that goes into your spine or whatever, but turned out to be a good guy. Right. And More of a it, symbiote than a Yeah, parasite. kind yeah. of a Deep Space Nine symbiote. And that one, um, that one was good, but yet it... it Come that same kind of idea comes back again with the with the keepers who are obviously very bad, and so I guess it's good that there's both good and bad parasitic alien creatures in the universe. There's not just one kind, but I feel like it makes the keepers seem kind of redundant when we already had a a race that kind of disappears into you or whatever. Right, um, but you know the, the universe is a big place. Even the yeah. galaxy is a big place, so there can be. To, I mean, look how many parasites that fill the same niche on our planet, you know? Yeah, that's true. And it, it's interesting to note that when um, uh, Dr. Franklin was dissecting the Keeper, he knew just by look not by looking at the wounds on, on Captain Jack, but just by looking at the, the biology of the Keeper, that it was tapping into his neural pathways and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, how the heck does he know that? And then I'm like, oh, because he also knows about the uh, the symbiotes from earlier yeah and how they did that so he, he probably has some some medical experience to, to well, fall back on with and it probably also has something to do with like the shadow the, pe- the people that were in the shadow ships like anna sheridan that he examined oh yeah that too yeah that too that so was more technology than biology yeah but, yeah. but their technology was biology though that's a good point so it all kind of goes together. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay. So I wonder, now that you bring that up, I wonder if the Keepers are a crafted biological entity or engineered. if they were naturally engineered or if they were naturally evolved and just adopted by the shadows. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure they come from Australia because everything scary like that comes from <laughs> Australia. <laughs> Yeah, mate, watch out for the kangaroos uh, and the keepers. Oh, the keepers are bad. They don't hop around, but they'll uh, get you. They'll get you. We, uh, my son is six years old, and I was talking to him the other day about koala bears. And I said, you want to go pet a koala bear one day? Because they live in Australia, don't they, Daddy? I'm like, yep. He said, not a chance. He said, <laughs> everything in Australia tries to eat you. That's fair. Look at that. He's smart. That's smart. Good. That's good self-preservation going on right there. Very smart. Yeah. Um, my most Babylon 5 scene 
was just the whole idea of a Mimbari committee there to observe Sheridan and Delenn having an intimate <laughs> moment. I that just struck me as totally B five right there. Because it always comes up. She always and and Sheridan even mentions it in the episode. She always has some sort of ritual. Yep. To do something with this or that or the other thing, and and I thought it was kind of funny that they made a, a kind of a self self referential mm. uh, line in in the episode about that. He's like, "Well, how many of these do you have?" She goes, uh, fifty. <laughs> like, I was yeah, going to say seen about we've seen about forty five of them already. <laughs> yeah. Well, the things that the, the things that John and Delenn have to do together, there's like fifty of those, and they've done like three or four now. Yeah. If that. So we got a right. long, yeah. Well, okay, he had to watch her sleep. She had to watch him sleep. They did this, so they got a long way to go. Yeah. Uh-huh. Hopefully, there's they can knock several out at a time. Like uh, maybe one of them is have dinner together, and one of them is <laughs> talk about the weather. I mean, I don't know what they right. are, but you know, I, surely they can. Surely they're not all these just great long ceremonies that take all night. Right. That's just crazy. No wonder their birth rate's down so low. They don't have time to ever get married <laughs> Your whole family has to sit and watch. Oh, my God. Yeah, the, no way. Um, <laughs> all right, favorite character moment. Again, boy, I don't know. Oh, I, I had uh, the forced vacation. I thought that was a very strong yeah. one of a moment where she made her boss take a vacation and took over control of the station like it was nothing. She's like, yep, I'm relieving you of command. I'm taking over. See ya. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was very Susan Ivanova. So I had two favorite character moments too. Mine, Ivanova as well. Uh, when she tells the, the the pilots dudes, your ships will eventually break down, and she says like, even if I have to see to it myself or something. Right. She says it in a subtle way, but I caught it. And I'm like, ah, look at Susan. Yeah, she wasn't oh, too subtle because she said, I have a giant pulse cannon in my hold, and I'm willing to use it on your ships. I, I think subtlety went out the airlock yeah, at that point. It did. It suddenly went out the airlock about like one of Jakar's assistants. <laughs> oh God, too soon, too soon. Sorry, Kodath, too soon. Pour, pour, pour out a Bravari for poor Kodath. Right. Oh, too soon. And my other favorite character moment was Delenn asked Sheridan if he'd rather look at trees than basically go to bed with her, and he goes, "Nope." Yeah. <laughs> That was so good. That yeah. was so good. That's about as risque as this show ever gets, and I appreciated right. that. I thought that was good. And JMS, and this is another JMS speaks. He said, "I don't know where that stuff comes from." He said, "There's some sort of part of it deep inside of me that has these kinks that that just come out. So maybe you know that part of me wants to have people watch me have sex. I don't uh, know. Mem- only in Men- only Minbari though." Right. <laughs> to put on the Mimbari makeup to do it. Yeah. Okay. Um, I did like that we got to see the inside of the garden again. That was cool. Yeah. I love the garden. I think yeah. that's a, a cool set. And I think, I wish they had more there. That in the observation dome, I really yeah. think is a cool set. The thing I like about the garden is it's the one set on the whole station that really gives you a sense of how big the station is on the inside. Yeah. Like, yeah. You see some scope. Because normally you're either in a little room. And even the even the the bridge, the command center, whatever it is, even that's pretty small. Yeah. So either you're usually in there or a little room. The only time we're ever supposed to get any kind of sense of the actual scale of the place is when you get an external shot. So the garden is the only time you get an internal shot that actually shows the scale of the whole place, and it's great. Yep. Yeah. That's it. I love that set. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, funniest moment. Oh, there, there was a couple of good moments in there here. There were. Uh, but the funny, <laughs> the one that I actually laughed out loud at, and my wife did too, is uh, when uh, um, Dr. Franklin said, and that's when I shot him, Your Honor. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. I forgot about that one. Yeah, that would have been on my list too. That, I, one, I, that one made me laugh out loud. I do love the, the the chemistry that, and this is this is just so funny. By the way, I, I imagine this had to have been. Well, we kind of touched on this last time, right? We talked last time about the absurdity of Sheridan sending Doctor Franklin on this mission when he right. was addicted to stems because they needed him to be awake all the time in the medical lab, med lab, and now he's just gone for weeks and everything's fine. Really, I just you know, but. I, I suspect, and this should have been, a, this is an unanswered question, and I, it's one that somebody should have asked JMS, and maybe they did and I didn't see it, but somebody needed to ask JMS, would you, or did you originally plan for it to be these two together, or did you put them together because they have really good chemistry together already? Because they do, and they have really great chemistry here, and you know, at conventions after B5 ended, they kept doing stuff together, Yep. I, audience I was participation things. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, all the way up until uh, all the way up until uh, Franklin died. Yeah. In real life. Yep. So yeah, they really. I, I I feel like surely, unless this was how they figured that out, because they have such great chemistry together. That's where I was going with this. Was I like the idea that they work really well together, and yet you can always tell that it's driving Stephen crazy. Right. Well, and another JMS speaks. JMS said that he a lot of the the um, dialogue, not not word for word dialogue, but a lot of the personality that he wrote into those scenes came from him watching those two eat lunch together. Ah, oh, there you go. See, he, okay. he said he would sit at the next table over and he would just watch them and just laugh to himself just at the shenanigans that they got into with the, with the other crew and cast members. That totally makes sense. Yeah. yeah. There you go. My funniest moment was woohoo. I, I, I mean, I don't, was it the funniest moment in the episode? Maybe, maybe not. And um, and it, it did have good. a dark component to it that we've already addressed, which is that. that yeah, that makes one of my that, other categories. Yeah, so there you go. Um, who won the episode? I have, I mean, it was a hard to figure this one out, yeah, but I had the Mars Resistance. Were. The Mars Resistance one because they saved number one, which. She mm. plays a bigger role in the next mm. few episodes. I think mm. she's she's in more episodes, right? She shows up so. again, yeah, a few times, yeah, yeah, a few times. She she plays a, a relatively big role in the whole resistance thing. So I think that they were clear winners there because uh, they saved her. They they rooted the mole out of their their organization and they saved her from the assassin. Good call. I hadn't thought of it that way, but you're exactly right. I had Stephen and Marcus uh, that they won because they were able to do everything that they did eventually successfully. They routed out the routed out the, the bad guy that, or the controlled guy yeah. and um, didn't get killed themselves and met right. number one and didn't kill each other. <laughs> so right. it was all nigh miraculous all the way around. Yeah. So so and 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 we won from that because we got to see them all acting wacky and being entertaining all the way through. Right. So they while, won while they still moving to... the plot forward. Well, yeah, totally legit. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, who lost the episode? <laughs> There's one for I sure. I have I have two losers here. I have Sheridan lost. Only he doesn't know it yet. Yeah, fair. On, on two on two fronts. Oh. Yeah. And the the second loser I have is Lanier because oh. he that like like we mentioned earlier. 
Oh, yeah. that had to just be just talk about tearing your heart out and stomping on it. I mean, man, there's no doubt. Yeah, I mean, woohoo was a funny was a funny <laughs> moment. That was a funny line, but the the venom behind that was was palpable. Yeah, it was pretty bad, and and yeah. and just agony for him, I'm sure. And and I don't think yeah. Sheridan realizes it. No, he's no clue. That's the thing. I mean, I think he'd be yeah. a lot more careful if he thought he had he was making somebody so bitter right there. Right. Next to him. Would um, he would he though? Would he because of what he's doing to Lita? I mean, oh, he's making her bitter and he doesn't care. I was I was gonna contradict you and then you said that and I'm like, you know, you got me there. <laughs> I can't I can't I, I what can I say? You I mean, yeah, you got me there. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, you didn't name the person I thought was the most obvious loser this episode. Although maybe he didn't ultimately lose Captain Jack. Captain Jack? Yeah, because he... Right. Well, getting blown up kind of sucks, and you do lose. But on the other hand, right. you get rid of that parasite, and you don't attack. You Put it this way. At, at great cost to himself, the greatest cost to himself, he did overcome this creature that was controlling him and causing him to do harm to a group of, that he probably genuinely liked. Right. So other than die, <laughs> it's like the old and, joke about other than the other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play, right? <laughs> other other than dying, Captain Jack made out all right. And, and hearkening back to the the first conversation he had with with the the uh, the two from Babylon 5, he was a war hero that nobody will know about. Oh, yeah. That's yep. true. Yeah. Good deal. So was he a loser or a winner or what? I, I'd say he's a, I mean, I'd say he's a winner. I mean, he went out, you know, he died, but Other I mean, than look that. at the guy. He, he, wasn't in, he wasn't in very good health anyway. So, no. I mean, he was a heart attack waiting to happen. He was. That's true. So Keep, Keepers should be more selective is, I think, the upshot of all this. <laughs> They made a bad choice and they paid the price. Getting they have a, up. Pre- a pretty bad track record. Yeah, um, man. All right. So rating. Well, how did we rate it? So again, we did the P five rating, which is on a scale of zero to ten, but it ends up being <laughs> like a decimal. We have always done our rating on a scale of zero to five. So I, I'm. It, it doesn't sound like I can expect a big number from you. But I'm curious, how low can you go? I I waffled between a 2.5 and a 3. I thought story-wise it was interesting enough to, to merit a 3. It had a lot of, you know, important pieces. You know, it was it was all about moving pieces from one spot to the other on the game board. But it was yes. still an, done in an interesting way. Had some good character moments, some good revelations. But the thugs brought it down to a 2.5. <laughs> it's amazing. There was too many thugs. If it were any one group yeah. of them, yeah. I mean, there were three main. There was there was Captain Jack. There was the the Clark thugs, and then there was the Mars thugs, and then you had the smuggler thugs on top of it. I mean, any one or two of those would have been all right. It would have dropped the rating, but all four of those in one episode was a little bit much. I, I guess you could say this this was a thug heavy episode, or you could just say this was a heavy heavy episode. <laughs> Yeah, and and that's yeah. never a good thing for Babylon Five. It's just right. not. So yeah, it's amazing how often you and I are simpatico, as they say. I have a two point five, and I too kind of went back and forth between a two point five and a three. But I just honestly felt like not enough happened in this episode, and the things that did happen 
I didn't always like. And then there were things that I actively disliked. And there's no way I can give a three-something, three-anything to one with so many things I actively disliked. It's not a bad episode. It's just not a particularly good episode, right? Right. I'm finding out that season four episodes, there are more middle-of-the-road episodes mm-hmm. than, I, than I remembered. Well, I think that what it partly is, you're right, I think that partly what it is is that we forget how many episodes go by between the end of the Shadow War right. and the beginning of anything else. Because, you know, spoilers aside, there are a couple, a couple of big events still to go in this season. Not just one, a couple of big events still to come. Right. But we haven't started either one of them yet. We've, well, we've, we've, it's setting the stage for them, but they, right. the, the, it's, let's put it this way. We haven't lit the fuse on the dynamite yet. We're just still stacking the dynamite. You know what I'm saying? Right, exactly. And there's exactly. more episodes of stacking than we remember. <laughs> right. This right. this season, when you're not watching the show and you think about season four, you think, oh, man, every episode was bang, 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 bang. And then you watch it and you go, it's really not. Right. All right. Because I have said that multiple times while watching the first two or three seasons. Like, Wait till season four. It's just one one fireworks show after the other, and I forget that. <coughs> excuse me. I forget that they have to set up between fireworks. Yeah, yeah. Now this is four in a row now, because six was the big one, and then seven, eight, nine, ten have been important things have happened, but you know they haven't been like one, two, three, four, five, six. You know they haven't been into right. the fire. Not in, of course only a few episodes are that. But right. they've, we're still stacking stuff. I have 7, 8, 9, 10. I have 3.0, 2.5, 3.0, 3.0. Oh, sorry, 2.5. Yeah. So two 3.0s and two 2.5s. Yeah. No, Which, that tracks. again, I, I have to keep saying this, a 3.0 or a 2.5 is not a terrible show. No. And it's all subjective within Babylon 5. A right. mediocre Babylon 5 episode is still cooler than a good episode of a lot of things. Right. Absolutely. Right. That's, you know, on our, we talk, this is actually a very valuable thing because we talk about this on the James Bond uh, channel on our network. Uh, when, when Alan and I review a Bond movie and we give it kind of a mediocre score, I'm like, well, remember now, a, a mediocre to bad James Bond movie is still a James Bond movie. So we're still really yeah. happy about it. Just comparing it to the other, to the other installments, you know. Exactly. So exactly. that's the same thing going on here. All right, so I gave it 2.5. I said there's a, a pretty vanilla A plot with Stephen and Marcus on Mars, uh, an annoying Garibaldi subplot, and then kind of a flimsy Sheridan Delin C plot. It, this episode, honestly, was like a B plot and two or three C plots. Yeah. There's even true. kind of a D plot with Sheridan and Delin. Ivanova. I mean, I mean Ivanova, yeah, yeah. Sheridan and Ivanova, yeah. One scene, really. Yeah. So... Yeah. Again, we're not criticizing it that we hate it. We're just saying it it just didn't do a whole lot big for us. So Right, right. Th- this was not not uh, you know, believers or or no. moot or what was it? Mutai. Mutai. Uh, what was the Mutai episode called? Uh, oh my gosh. Kickboxers, kickboxers in space or something how like that. Was it? How it can was... we it had to have been a one word title. Yeah. TKO. TKO. TKO, that's right. Yeah. <sighs> I forget. Blotted that out of my memory. Thank you for <laughs> we just always up. say the Wu Tai, so we don't think right. about TKO. <laughs> All 
All right, Andy, we got we've got three things left to do. We got to thank the patrons. We got some comments yep. from the patrons, and we got to say what. And we got uh, spoiler space. So right. I'm I'm going to thank the patrons. The patrons are keeping our program going, helping us keep the lights on in our uh, palatial White Rocket Studios, and we thank <laughs> them very, very, very much. The, if you go to www.b5review.com, www.b5review.com, or just go to Patreon and search for White Rocket Entertainment or White Rocket Reviews, whatever, White Rocket's probably going to get you there. Either way, we'll get you there, and just sign up to be a patron, and you are you get the you get the episodes usually earlier than this, but again, Andy's been sick. I've had things with my family going on. We have things occasionally. We lost our pa- we lost our padding, so we're kind of on the flying by the seat of our pants right now. But um, go to www.b5review.com, sign up, become a patron. You get early access. We're going to be doing some special things here and there again. We haven't done it in a while, but we're going to. And I thank all the patrons every episode. We have to thank Christopher Anastasia, Allison Rich, Colonel Dad, a.k.a. Ari Benzane. I am missing my category, mister. Leah G., Rich Hammett, Debbie No Spoilers Norris, <laughs> Dragon <laughs> Con Delin, and you can put whatever you want in your name, and that's what I'll read. Emmanuel Seaman, uh, Jal Ja, Mondo Six, Michael O'Connor, Pete, the real reason Van avoids saying Dragon Con Furman. <laughs> Steve Palmer, Andy Sickly rates War Without End of Five. Well, we knew that. <laughs> Stu Parker, that's a that's a that's a joke from around uh, an inside joke from around here, earlier episodes. Stu Parker, the Geek Boy, Una Vez and Una Luna Azul. Tell me again what that means. Once in a blue moon. There you go. Weird Al Bester. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Weird Al Bester. That's awesome. That is a character mashup I would love to see. I love it. I love it. I would love to see Weird Al in a in a, in a Psycor uniform. Right. Uh, <laughs> Heather and Yancey Steingraber, Ice Cream Clone with a Boba Fett head, and Michael Halbrook. Thank you all so, so very much, our beloved Babylon 5 Review family. Here are a few of the things that they said this time. Uh, after Atonement, our last episode, Debbie No Spoilers Norris said, as someone who is watching this show for the first time, and that's our, that's what we, I mean, we love, we love our listeners that have seen it a million times like us, but we really get excited when somebody's watching it for the first time and kind of using our show as maybe like a, a resource, right? That's right. awesome. So Deb, Debbie says, as someone who's watching the show for the first time, I love this episode. Finding out more about how the Earthman Bari War started, that's fair enough. Delenn's involvement and that she's a descendant of Valen Sinclair was huge. Yeah, we're, we're, we're jaded by that, Andy. It wasn't as big of a deal for us this time because we already kind of knew it. She right. says, I was surprised at your ratings as this was a solid 4, maybe 4.5 for me. I totally get that. And we even discussed that, that probably the, the P10 yeah. rating was probably higher than what it could have been because everybody was seen it for the first time, and ours was probably lower than what it should have been yes. because we are jaded. So 100%. Yeah, that's, that's a totally legit rating. Yes. I agree I, with her. I get it. She says, I suppose already knowing all this and watching it again could be anticlimactic, so that could be why you both... Yes, exactly. Both not excited. Uh, I enjoyed Ducat and Delin's relationship. Do you think she loved him, similar to Lanier's love for her? We hadn't talked about that. Whoa. I... Whoa. I did not think of that at all, but looking at it now, she... Yeah. 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 Wow. 
and it That's would very definitely insightful. It's very much, and it's a good reflection of. Well, I mean, I, I'm surprised we missed it though. I mean, it's totally insightful by Debbie, but I'm surprised because we we caught so many other things about that relationship, including how you know she talked to him the way that Lanier talked to her right. back in the back in the first episode or whatever. But it didn't occur to me that there might have been something there on, on her part. So that's good. I'm glad she said that. We'll add that to our list of the things we ask JMS when he's on our show. Yeah, yeah. Well, the only thing I've ever asked JMS in person was, will we ever get more Crusade? And, yeah, we'll talk about that when we get to Crusade. <laughs> uh, she says, I wonder if Ducat was married and so it was an unrequited love as well. Anyway, thanks for another great episode. This weekend, I should finally finish season five, four episodes to go, so I can go through the jump gate and listen to all the spoiler discussion. Yay! <laughs> Good deal. Good for her. That's awesome. Good deal, Debbie. Um, let's see. Weird Al Bester says, Ducat also played German Darth Vader. Nine. <laughs> okay. I, I don't know if that was like, did he do the voice of uh, in Star Wars or something, or was he in another uh, show? Or I don't know. I, I don't know. I've never seen that in his in his biography, but that that would be interesting. If I need to look it up now, or have Weird Al Bester give us more. We need more information on this. What that means? Yes, Weird Al, please, and put it in song form. Um, let's see. Pete, the real reason Vanna Voice saying Dragon Con Furman says. Yes, it was great that we found out how the war was started, and yes, the, the CGI battle was cool, but anyone picking anything as a high point that didn't involve Mira Furlan in that black dress is wrong. Well, okay. She looked good. That's, that's legit. She, she, looked, she looked like a beautiful woman. She did. Well, it was Mira Furlan. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Allison Rich uh, provided the part two of... Um, I'm trying to think what I know off the top of my head. She always comes up with good stuff and good resources. I'm going to go. Oh, oh, it's the um, the 1993 retrospective on. I mean, it's the it's the Rowan J. Coleman retrospective on Babylon Five. We talked about he did that because he yes. just yeah he did a really good retrospective on B Five in two parts. She provided I, the link. I, I watched the first part. It was very good. Yeah, um, he just last week did Battlestar Galactica. Oh, cool! Like the old Battlestar Galactica it, or the it, the new it's in, the reboot? It's in two parts. I didn't know how I was going to do it either, but I watched part one, and part one got all the way through Galactica nineteen eighty, and so I'm okay. assuming part two is going to be the new show, the two thousand four. Okay, interesting. Did did you like the new Battlestar Galactica? No. Uh, uh, oh, wow. Okay. I mean, yes, up to a point. The, okay. I, I, the last last, I don't know. It got a little heavy-handed last season. Yeah, the whole yeah. spiritual and religious stuff and all. I had a good time with it, though. It's I. It's I, I, did, I thought it was well written, well acted for sure. There's something about the original, though, as yeah. as cheesy as it could be, and that's one thing I like about Coleman's review of it in his in his documentary that we we're just talking about. Is he gets into that? He says, you know, it has issues with this and with that. The plot. I've always said the biggest problem with original Battlestar Galactica was it got forced into production too fast. And they didn't have any scripts. Right. So the later episodes get pretty good, but those early few are just, you know, they took old movies and just had Apollo and Starbuck be like Gregory Peck or you know whoever, and it's just kind of bad. So, right. well, anyway, we'll but, we'll talk. But yeah. the Cylon, the original Cylon Centurions, and the original Cylon ships. Oh, were the two coolest designs. Yes. They're iconic, absolutely. They and the, the new Battlestar Galactica just couldn't compare to that. Yeah, he talks about that. 
It's it's yeah. worth watching. Anything that Coleman's done a lot of Star Trek stuff, but he gets he branches out occasionally, and he does really good. Uh, does these really good documentaries on YouTube? I recommend them. Just look for Rowan J. Coleman, and he's done everything now. He hadn't done Farscape or Firefly yet, I don't think, but he's done a lot of other stuff. Uh, let's see if there's any other. Oh yeah, the last one. Mondo Six says, um, "I let me let me see if I I feel like he's res, he's responding to something, but I'm not exactly sure. Help me out here." He said, "Now that not only the circle of time was completed in War Without End." But Delenn, oh, I see. Now that not only the circle of time is completed in War Without End, but Delenn has put together who Sinclair was, it has me wondering if Delenn was in the alternate timeline that was in Susan's message during Babylon Squared. If you think about it, that message was the impetus for Sinclair's journey that ends with him as Valen. Wow. This one's hurting my brain. He's not done. Here, I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we can okay. talk about it. All right. So he says, <laughs> so in the alternate timeline, and by the way, alternate timelines, that takes me to that great fanfic thing, the size of War and Peace, but anyway. So in the alternate timeline, Sinclair did not go back to save Babylon 4 from the shadows. We know this because he is in Garibaldi's vision helping to defend uh B5 from the shadow attack ending in the destruction of B5. So Delenn couldn't, I don't remember that. So Delenn couldn't be descended from him, so she couldn't have managed the beginning of the shadow war to a point where Sheridan could win it. Also, without Delenn supporting Sinclair, he would never have been accepted on Minbar as Rage, Ranger 1. That's fair too. When they save the past to save the future, they haven't even considered how many twists and turns it had to go just right to get the one perfect ending we got. Sounds like Avengers Endgame, doesn't it? Holy crap. He, uh, you lost me there. I don't know if it's the NyQuil or the wine or what, but man... <laughs> It, I, I I got lost halfway through what you were saying. No, I, I it's <laughs> it's well, it's because you're getting time travel, alternate timelines, different sets of characters, right, and a whole lot of plot all kind of thrown in the blender there. Right, Mondo Six, that is awesome. Respect, respect. I love stuff like that. Um, I'm going to send this to Andy and let him puzzle it over, and we'll address it again next week. How about that? <laughs> Because th- I think this is one that you got to be in your right mind and think about. Right. Okay. So I'll let I'll I'll let you cogitate over it for a little bit because there's some good stuff here. But yeah, I, it makes my brain hurt to even. Oh, right. Lord. Well, the, the episode made my brain hurt. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So um, I think let me go back and yeah. Um, our next episode will cover four eleven lines of communication which is a very interesting one. There's a couple of things going on involving Delenn, I'm going to say here. Mm-hmm. The, you recall that I mentioned previously that there comes a point where JMS said, I really needed to stop writing Delenn as the, as the love interest and get back to Delenn kicking butt. Right. Okay, and there's that line, never forget who I am or what I can do. Yep. I think maybe... That's as far as I can go with it, but I think maybe we're closing in on that. All right. Whereupon, I have to click this button here. No, not that one. I have to click this button. Jump gate activated. It's a trap! <laughs> That's a... <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's Mon you're, Calamari you're, in the jump gate. Yeah, Who knew? You're, you're, you're crossing your sci-fi <laughs> universes there. Who <laughs> Who knew that, that that's who we would uh, 
Um, you know, you know what, you know what President Clark's going to say if Sheridan and and Ivanova and Franklin and, and and company ever show up on Earth, right? What's that? He's going. President Clark's going to say, "There they are. Ah, oh, they know the shame on their country." That's it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Oh, I love my soundboard. I don't get to use it on this show nearly as much as on the football show, but I try to Thank squeeze it in. Thank God for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, John's like, yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I've only got one thing for spoiler section, and I'm done, and we're, we can get out of here unless you have something you want to talk about too, which would be fine. My question is, if the keeper cannot be removed and leaves pieces behind if it is, how did they get it off of David Sheridan? That happens in the future. They may yeah. have found out how to oh. do stuff in the future. No, you know what? I think I just realized how they do it. I think I just answered my own question. I just remembered. How's that? The drock that produces it dies. Uh-uh. When the drock uh. it came from dies, the keeper dies. So I think we're in spoiler space, folks. Okay. Right. I think think and this is just memories from 20 something years ago i think that somebody kills i can't remember his name but the main drock and i think that's what makes the drock fall off of david's i mean the the keeper the fall keeper. off of david's chair right i think interesting yeah something that something to, to watch for as we watch that's why i like doing this because we come up with these things that we can then watch for when we watch the show that's cool yeah that i mean that right there though that goes all the way into like the third Centauri novel by Peter David. So we get, we're a long right. way from that one, thank goodness. We're gonna, right? I, you know, what's going to be interesting, uh, Andy. Is I guess we need to start reading those books before we get to the end of season five, because I don't know if I can read a whole one of those in two weeks between. <laughs> no kidding. Unless I zip through, I, it. and I don't think they've ever been done on Audible. So they have not. I've looked. They ought to be. At least they're not. They're they're not available on Audible. They 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 should be. But I think the rights are tied up. Warner's just doesn't like producing stuff. They no. they just like I don't know. It's so. Stupid. But I have been I have been able to find most of those books on eBay for reasonable prices. I've got two of the hardest um, trilogies to find. I, I found on eBay. Mine are so. just over my left shoulder here as I'm pointing to them for Andy to see. They're right for for there. those who are not watching this on television, <laughs> Van Van's backdrop is this massive bookshelf that's covered with comic books, robots, uh, action figures, and just novels. It, it's it's like and science fiction and, Boba Fett. and yeah, yep, yeah. and, and uh, yep, yeah, an Auburn football helmet and Boba Fett. Boba Fett's got to be there, and Iron Man. But, I mean, it's like a, a, a science fiction museum back there. It's really cool. <laughs> well, anyway, that was all well and good. We'll have to do a live video show for the patrons, and I'll, like, yes. run around this whole room. Because i got stuff all the way around here, too. It's just this is this is what you see in my background. I'm very proud of this. this is, when, we, when we bought this house, I said, I love this wall back here. I'm putting bookcases from one end of it to the <laughs> other. And that's what I did. I, a lot of trips to Lowe's. I bet. There it is. <laughs> All right. Well, that should do it for this week. Um, we have looked at 410 Racing Mars. Yeah, Racing Mars. Racing we Mars. race some Mars. Yeah. And uh, we'll see you guys in two weeks for Lines of Communication, where Delenn kicks some butt. Any final thoughts before we wrap up, Andy? No, sir. We came in at an hour and a half, just like we always do. <laughs> we're actually, no, we're actually lower than that, because we talked for a few minutes before we went on the air. So this episode's going to come in at around, a, this episode will be around an hour and 12 minutes, I think. Not All right. Bad. That's, it's still it's still a good, solid episode. I enjoyed this talk. Considering we had almost no notes from JMS, that's not... Right. You know, there right. you go. 
We did talk about my basement, so that's cool. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we'll let folks go, and we'll get out of here, and we'll see you guys in a couple of weeks. All right, take care. Take care, man. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production. Where did it go? I have my little intro thing. I don't really have an official intro for this show, do I? Well, it's a little late now. (laughs) (laughs) That was good. That was was good. I'll give you credit for that one. That's going in the show. Can't throw out quality material even during a down p- moment and not expect it to end up in the show, Andy. That's just how it works. Uh, the, out- the outtakes are always the best. Uh, I'll have to remember. <laughs>